0: Salve de omnes, welcome to the AP Latin podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's *De Debello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati Aamos. Amos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 7A, De Bello Gallico, Book 4, Chapters 28-30. In this episode, you will learn that British weather is the worst, and that continuing to resist an invasion of your territory is rebellion and conspiracy. Before we jump into the Latin, here are a few tips to help you read through and understand these somewhat challenging sections. When to mest is an example of what is called the middle voice passive. Literally, the sentence reads, after the fourth day that it was arrived into Britain. The sentence is, the fourth day after we arrived into Britain. Pay attention to ablative absolutes and treat them as operating separately from the rest of the sentence. Use relative and subjunctive clause words to clue you in to when Caesar moves off of the main ideas and onto subordinate points or reasons. And finally, duxerunt means they thought rather than they led. Now on to the Latin. Is rebus pace confirmata, post diem quartum, quam est in Britannia ventum naves duo de vigenti, de quibus supra, demonstratum est. Quae equite sustulerunt, ex superiore portu leni vento soluevunt. Quae cum apropinquarent inquarent Britanniae et ex castris viderentur, tanta tempesta subito corta est, ut nulla eorum cursum tenere posset, sed aliae eodem unde erant profectae referentur. Aliae ad inferiorem partem insulae, quae est propias ocasum, magno suo cum periculo deecerentor, quae tamen ancoris, iactis, cum fluctibus complerentor, necessario ad nocte in altum proecti continentem petierunt. Eadem nocte acedit ut luna plena, quidies maritimos aestus maximos in oceano efecara consuevit. Nostrisque id erat incognitum, Ita, uno tempora, et longes naves quibus exercitum transportandum curawerat, quasque Caesar in aridum subduxerat, aistos complewerat. Et onerarias, quae ad ancoras erant tempestas adflictabat, flictabat, neque ulla nostris facultas, aut administrandi, aut auxiliandi dabatur." Cum pluribus navibus fractis reliqui cum essent funibus ancoris reliquisque armamentis amissis ad navigandum inutiles, magna id quaed erat acidera totius exercitus perturbatio facta est. Necuenim naves erant alii quibus reportari possent et omnia de erant quae ad reficiendas naves erant usui et quod omnibus constabat hiemari in Gallia oportera, frumentum in his locis in hiemum provisum non erat. Quibus rebus cognitis, principis Britanniae, qui post proilium ad Caesarum convenerant, inter se collocuti, cum equites et naues et frumentum Romanis dease intelegarent, et paucitatum militum ex castrorum exiguitate cognoscarent quae hoc erant etiam angustiora quadsine impedimentis Caesar legiones transportauerat. Optimum factu esse duxerunt. Rebellione facta, frumento comeatuque nostros prohibera, et remin hiemem producera, quod eis superatis, outreditu interclusis, neminem postea belli inferendi causa, in Britanniam transiturum confidebant. Itaque, rursus conuratione facta, Paulatim ex castris discedera, et suos clam ex agris deducera coeperunt. After peace had been confirmed by these things the fourth day after the arrival in Britannia, the eighteen ships about which it was referenced above, which had brought the cavalry, set sail from the further port with a light wind, which, when they were approaching Britannia and were seen from the camp... Such a great storm arose that none of them were able to hold their course, but some were brought back to the same place they set out from, others to the lower part of the island, which is nearer to the west. They were driven there with great danger to themselves, which, however, after their anchors were cast, were being filled with waves, having been carried in an adverse night into the deep. By necessity, they sought the continent. On the same night, it happened that there was a full moon, a day which was accustomed to bring about the greatest maritime tides in the ocean and this was unknown to our men. Thus at one time both the long ships, with which he had provided for transporting the army, and those which Caesar had brought onto dry land, the tide had filled, and the transport ships, which had been bound to anchors, the storm was shattering, and there was not any means given to our men either of managing or helping. With very many ships shattered, since the rest were useless for sailing with cables, anchors, and the rest of equipment lost, a great disturbance, a thing which was necessary to happen, of the whole army came about. For neither were there other ships by which they would be able to be carried back, and all things were lacking which were of use for repairing ships, and, because it was agreed by everyone that it was better to winter in Gaul, grain in these places for the winter had not been provided. After these things had been learned, the chiefs of Britannia, who after the battle had come together to Caesar, having spoken amongst themselves, since they understood that the cavalry and the ships and the grain were lacking for the Romans, and they learned about the few numbers of our soldiers by the smallness of the camp, which because of this was even more narrow because Caesar had transported the legions without baggage. They thought that the best thing to do was, after a rebellion had been made, to prevent our men from grain and from supplies and to draw out the affair into winter. Because, after these men were conquered or cut off from a return, they were confident that afterward no one would cross into Britannia for the sake of bringing war. And so again, after a conspiracy had been made, little by little they began to depart from camp and bring their own people from the fields secretly. So this whole invasion of Britain thing continues to be a horrible disaster for the Romans. Yes, they managed to beat the British resistance and to set up a camp on the beach... But Caesar still doesn't have his cavalry, since a huge storm blew them all off course. And the same storm, coupled with a high tide, wrecked or swamped most of Caesar's boats and transport ships. And the camp was undersupplied and undermanned because of the missing cavalry and the baggage that the cavalry was bringing with them. And they didn't have enough food, since they weren't planning on staying the winter in Britain, so Caesar didn't arrange a steady source of grain from the local tribes like he had done in previous winters from groups like the Idawe. So obviously the British leaders are going to try to take advantage of all of these problems and get the Romans out of their territory. These sections are somewhat more difficult to work through than the previous ones because Caesar switches to using very long, drawn-out, run-on sentences. Part of this switch is most likely Caesar deferring potential blame for the disasters onto other things or people than himself. Yes, we don't have cavalry, but storm. Yes, the tide swamped all the boats that I should have ordered to be better beached, but full moon and nobody knew yes we sailed into britain without our baggage and without our cavalry and without enough intelligence about the weather or about the people but we won yes there was a disturbance in the entire army because of all of these problems but that was bound to happen yes i put the entire army at huge risk and near disaster because my terribly planned invasion set the british up to win but rebellion and conspiracy Another part of the switch is stylistic in nature, using sentence structure to emphasize just how many unfortunate things kept piling onto the Romans all at once, stacking their disadvantages and backing them up against a wall so that they can be the underdogs when the Britons unleash their secret plan. You are probably getting fairly used to Caesar's style and storytelling formula at this point, so you may recognize these sections as part of a setup that will come to a dramatic conclusion in the next few chapters. Caesar the narrator has taken a lot of time explaining all the disasters and disadvantages the Romans are facing, and then jumped perspective to the British leaders, giving the audience a picture of their thought process and secret plans to blockade the Romans until winter, which you as a reader are aware of, but the Romans inside the narrative are not. And neither is Caesar the general, even if Caesar the narrator is. Caesar the writer masterfully builds the tension in these chapters letting you in on the enemy's secret plans while our heroes, the Romans, are occupied with their own problems. All of the elements of good storytelling are here. Problems to overcome, an underdog protagonist, dramatic tension because you know information the characters don't, a clever enemy with a solid plan for world domination, and you are left wondering how Caesar will manage to get out of trouble this time. And you'll find out part, but not all, of that answer in the next episode. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Caesar evade blame for the loss of his ships? Should he have taken the blame as the commander of the army? Virgil narrates his storm scene from the point of view of those on board the ships. Caesar narrates his storm from the point of view of a general already on land awaiting his fleet. How are Virgil and Caesar's descriptions similar? How are they different? How important is genre in shaping these similarities and differences? What does this description and passage make you think of Caesar's skill as a general? Was he negligent in his planning? Was he honest in his assessment? Why would he choose to share or withhold certain details of his decision-making process with his audience? Why did the British chiefs, who had recently been groveling before Caesar begging for his clemency, change their minds? Caesar entered Britain with very little in the way of equipment and supplies, and not intending to stay very long. What was the point of his short incursion if it was not to take it over? What aims, other than permanent occupation, could an invasion have? Why does Caesar call the British planning and defense against an invading force a rebellion and a conspiracy? Gratias Ago pro auscultando valete.